Hey everybody, it's your favorite reconstructionist, Eric Brown of Phil Relly, and welcome to episode number 18 of the one and only show, bringing you tips and tricks for working vehicle collision cases from the best experts in the industry every Wednesday. Today's topic is see nothing, hear nothing, do nothing. So grab your expert angle coffee mug and settle in three, two, one, off we go. Every year, traffic crashes claim the lives of over a million people and account for over $500 billion of injuries around the world. A small select group of people from police to attorneys to expert investigators are tasked with getting justice for the victims, protecting the rights of involved parties, and ensuring the story is told accurately and honestly. Unfortunately, we believe that is an impossible task without the right team of experts. If you agree, then keep on listening for actionable tips from leading experts across various industries that you can start taking today to elevate your professional game. If you disagree, then tune in anyway and let us convince you with our ideas. We are Eric Brown and Phil Rally, and this is Crash Tech, the expert angle. Welcome back to the show, guys. Crash Tech, the expert angle podcast is brought to you by Crash Tech Reconstruction Services. If you have an accident that you need answers for or you think the other side has it wrong, Crash Tech can help. Connect with us at www.crashtechreconstruction.com to submit your case for a free review. Phil, man, special show today. And when I say special, it's because we have a special guest on. And, and uh, you know, again, special, not like you special, like special in the terms of people actually want to hear from this person. And uh, yes, so they I'm, do. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm blown away. Um, when we started this podcast, I think this is probably the first person that we even threw around the name of who we wanted to have come on the show. For sure. Without further ado, guys, let me, let me get him introduced here and then Phil can take the, uh, the gag out of his mouth here so he can breathe and talk freely and, uh, we'll get rolling here. But on today's show, we have, in my opinion, Probably the number one human factors expert in the world. This is a guy when he when he speaks, everybody listens. So we have Dr. Jeff Mutart with us. And if you've never met Jeff, he is incredible, incredible speaker, incredible presenter. Uh, he has his PhD in industrial engineering and operations research from the University of Massachusetts, a master's in uh, experimental uh, psychology from the University of Hartford. Um, He's got his uh, bachelor's in economics from Eastern Connecticut State University. He is the owner of the Crash Safety Research Center. He has authored more than 50 chapters in technical books and scientific studies on traffic safety topics. He's an instructor at Northwestern University and also as of recently here, been an instructor down at uh, the Institute of Police Technology and Management. Uh, he's been invited to lecture on traffic safety groups uh, in seven countries more than 150 times. Uh, just a wealth of knowledge and, and Jeff, man, we could not be any more excited to have you on the show because you are, uh, in our mind, one of, one of the number one names that we wanted to get on the show when we started it. So thank you for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have some fun today. Yeah, sounds. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. And it's uh, nice to talk to it's nice to talk to anybody in these times. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, that's it. Exactly. So that's why you came on. <laughs> yeah, he was just lonely. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't really want to do the show. He was just hey, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm in my basement here. And, and uh, yeah, the, it, it, to, to have other social interaction is, is quite stimulating. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Jeff, I, you know, I want to get, I, I just, I wanted to, to clear the slate on this. And, and so I'm, I'm really, really excited because I wanted you to come on so that you could confirm something for all the attorneys. Here we go. And, and all the police officers and all the reconstructionists around the world because, Phil, we see reports every day, right? Yeah. That under every circumstance, in every crash, without fail, you can just blanket apply a 1.5 second perception reaction time for a standard yeah. reaction, a one second perception reaction for motorcycles, and a two second perception reaction time for nighttime or impaired driving, because apparently those two are the same. <laughs> driving at night and big driving impaired. What if you're driving impaired at night? Right, yeah, it doesn't matter. Those are still, I still see them at two seconds is what everybody puts yeah. in their reports. Hey, yeah. you know what, Eric? Uh, you guys touched on this on one of your uh, earlier uh, episodes uh, when you were talking about ethics. Yeah. And uh, this, this this is ethics. And so if you're going to use a number that's been passed down, uh, you know, like, you know, telephone tag and somebody, uh, you know, 40 years ago told somebody else who's told somebody else who told you that uh, use these numbers. Mm -hmm. And that's unethical because if somebody told somebody else, told somebody else that you have an arrest record or, you know, that's just passing on a rumor. Yeah. And it's, it's, the courts are pretty simple, right? They need us, they expect us and they, uh, they, they hold our feet to the fire to come in with a methodology and to apply that methodology properly to the facts and circumstances of your case. Two simple rules, yeah. right? So is 1.5 seconds an accepted methodology? Well, you know, let's go back to the very first reaction time study that was ever conducted in 1868. Guess why they invented the stopwatch? They invented the stopwatch to measure how response times change due to different circumstances, right? And Wait, somehow you mean like the, that was that, that's the actual reason for the total invention of the stopwatch. Exactly. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> and and so they, you know, back then they knew <laughs> that if you change the stimulus, you're going to change the response. And so Franz Donders had had listened to Descartes. And uh, and 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 read the re, uh, the the research of Descartes, and said, "Well, Descartes had you know prisoners put their hand in a fire, and and he noticed how fast they jumped out of the fire faster if it was a hot <laughs> fire versus a not hot fire, right?" Phil, I'm I'm getting some ideas for a study, <laughs> right? You know, <clears throat> and and uh, so then. Donder says, well, you know what, let's let's put numbers to it. So they de they developed this hip chronoscope, which is the world's first stopwatch to measure how response times change. And so we knew that in 1868. And somehow the crash reconstruction community never got the memo. And instead, you know, everybody's reaching for the low hanging fruit. And somebody passed along a rumor that said, hey, you know what? You can use 1.5 seconds, right? And that fails on both measures of what courts require us to produce. They require us to produce 
an accepted methodology. Well, what's your accepted methodology there? Well, we don't have one. Well, you know, isn't it true that uh, Paul Olson did a study and it came out to something like 1.5? Actually, it was 1.1 seconds. And 85% of drivers responded within 1.5 seconds in that study. But that study was a measure of a driver responding, cresting the knoll of a hill and responding to a yellow piece of foam, a bright yellow piece of foam in the tire, in the track of the left tire, directly straight ahead in daylight. So let me ask you this though. So so if you had a crash where a car was it was avoiding a yellow block of foam directly over the crest of a hill in line with your left hand <laughs> tire. In that case, you could use Olson's study. Yes. Oh, you're you're, you're golden. And you know okay. what? And, and and here I'll even extend it even farther. Is Olson a good study to use if you have a path intrusion? Yes. Is it an accepted method? Oh, I agree. Yes, it's an accepted method. It's a published and peer reviewed study. It's accepted method. But where that study might fail is if you don't apply it properly to the facts and circumstances of your case. Mm-hmm. So n- now Olson started the clock when the uh, Dr. Olson started the clock. Uh, and here's a shout out to Dr. Olson. If you happen to listen to this, uh, I, I miss you, man. And, and uh, but he's uh, he's still he's still around and and. Uh, uh, he, he, very nice man. Yeah. And, and, and I was gonna say, and I think for the longest time, his papers kind of been used as the benchmark in the accident reconstruction community. Hey, good research. But again, you, there's two rules. There's two major rules, right? That the courts require accepted, applied properly, right? Mm-hmm. And, and applied properly. That's not Olson's fault. That's our fault. That's the expert's fault, right? He, he's, he, you know, just like when I do a study, you know, hey, I'll try to be as accurate as I can and, and, and produce an accepted research study. But then if you're going to use it for your case, you have to apply it properly. And so really, there's two major problems that I see in, pl- in applying PRT, in perception response time, and we'll call that PRT. There's two major problems I see that are that 95 to 99 percent of crash reconstructionists commit. Right. Number one, they neglect where to start the clock. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, Paul Olson started the clock when you could first see the yellow piece of foam. Let's say let's take this to an intersection path intrusion, a vehicle intersection path intrusion. If I start the clock, say, all right, Eric, Phil, and I, you know, we're going to go back in time and we're going to measure the response time of a driver. Yeah. And 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 so, Phil, you're one of those um, sketchy. <laughs> yeah, he is. Expert witnesses. Because you hit the nail Eric right on the head. All about you, right? <laughs> You're one of those sketchy expert witnesses, and and All you right. say that the main road driver, say we got a car coming out of the side road, mm-hmm. and the car never stops. He rolls right through. He rolls through at about 
five miles an hour never stops or 10 let's make it 10 miles an hour rolls right through never you know never slows down from the 10 rolls into the intersection and there's a crash and phil says oh come on man the main road driver should have picked up the side road driver before he got to the stop line right so this is a non-accepted method and here's why it's not accepted because if you approach it with that method, then you are giving your opinion of when that side road driver should have been perceivable. Yeah. Right? In fact, we don't know if the driver's eyes were open. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead, we want to apply the research properly to the facts and circumstances of the case. Most studies for vehicle path intrusions started the clock when the side road driver crossed the stop line. Mm-hmm. And if if that's true, then we got to apply that study to the stop line. And yeah. here's why. So Phil says, oh, come on, Jeff, you know what? I think you start the clock earlier. All right. So Phil, you go back in time and you start the clock earlier at a point before the stop line. All right. Eric You've read the research and you want to apply it properly. Of course. I mean, that's that's what I do. Yeah. (laughs) And so you start the clock at the stop line. Now, I go out there and like I've seen in a couple expert reports, I I'm the shade. You know, I go I shade on the other side and I say, oh, goodness gracious. You know what? That side road driver, it would have been difficult for the main road driver to recognize him coming out until he got into the right hand lane. And I don't start the clock until the right fog line. Right. But all three of us stop the clock when the brake lights of the main road driver go on. Are we going to report the same response time? Nope. Nope. No. So my question to you, if you're using 1.5, where did they start the stop line? Where did they start the clock? Right. And and where do you apply it? And if you don't apply it properly, you're wrong. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're going to. So and here's what we've found. Studies that start the clock for an intersection path intrusion in, in daylight. If if that side road driver is rolling through that intersection without stopping, average PRT, average perception response time, has been about 1.2 seconds. Pretty quick, right? Quick. Mm -hmm. Now, average response time from, let's say there's a parked car on the side of the road, so we don't see the car right, the side road vehicle right away, until he's all of a sudden right in front of us. Yeah. Again, average response time has been approximately 1.2 seconds, right? Okay. With a pretty tight band, right? With a band of about plus or minus 0.35 to 0.4 seconds, right? Because, you know, humans are somewhat predictable when when we scare the crap out of them, right? Right. <laughs> and, 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 but now let's go back to Phil's scenario. Hmm. In that scenario, average response time, some studies have started the clock earlier, and every one of those studies reported much longer response times. Simple, if you start the clock earlier, you're going to report a longer response time. 
Yeah. Right. Same thing. If I have two cups of water and one's half full and one's empty, which one's going to take longer to fill? Right. The right. empty one. Right. Yeah. So it depends on where we start the clock. Right. And so we have to start the clock to the right, right point. Yeah. And so it's important to kind of point out, too, I think, you know, just in, in the example that you gave where, you know, for, for the listeners that are listening, um, you know, if you're talking the difference between 1.2 to 1.5 seconds, I think there's a lot of people that would listen to the show that's like you're talking you know, 0.3 seconds, that's negligible. But at 40 miles an hour, you got to remember that you're traveling almost 60 feet a second. So you're, you're actually that 0.3 seconds is the difference of 18 feet. Like, I mean, Phil, how many crashes have we worked where 18 feet is, is the make or break between a crash happening? And, yeah. and you know what? I can't tell you how many times I've seen experts argue about the difference between a 0.6 and a 0.65 deceleration rate. Yeah, that we're picking the square root of that number. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then blindly accept 1.5 seconds. Yeah. So and I, that, that just that just floors me. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I got to ask you this. Well, well, we have you because this is this is the cause of many boxing matches between me and Phil. And so we I, we got to clear this up and I'm not going to tell you which side either of us are on because I want to spare him the humiliation. Um, but the uh, <laughs> when you say perception response or your PRT, the way that I take that to mean and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but let's let's see if we can set this record straight so we can all hopefully as a community get on the same page. So my theory is PRT starts once at basically after the kind of after the 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 recognition phase ends because you don't know it's impossible to quantify how long it takes somebody to recognize an object like we don't know where they're looking if they're blinking if they're looking down if their eyes are closed how fast the neurons fire between their eyes and their brain and and everything we we have no clue of any of that and so and actually in Olson's book and a shout out to him he even talks about that natural blind spot that you have in your eyes. And in the book, it's scary where he has you, you know, look at the little dot on the page and move the book away from you. Mm. And it does, it completely disappears. And your eyes are open, you're looking at it and it, it completely disappears from your view. And so because we can't account for any of that, I would say PRT starts after recognition ends. Like once you recognize, oh crap, that car is in front of me. That pedestrian is in front of my truck. Like now I've seen it at that point. Now you're going to say we have to account for the, 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 you know, actual processing of the information in the brain, send that signal to the foot, take the foot off the accelerator, rotate onto the brake, depress the brake, overcome vehicle latency. And then you're going to see skid marks. And you know what, Eric, you, you've addressed this in prior podcasts. And uh, quite frankly, you're way too you're way too smart for me. All right. No, 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 no. This this all came from your book. So actually, I'm just reciting things that I've read. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot more simple than that. Okay. Because you're talking about you. You brought up stay in your lane. Yeah. Right. And part of staying in your lane is, you know what? Uh, here's the way I look at it. I'm just, I'm just a guy measuring numbers. 
right? I'm just the ex-cop uh, who, who now studies driver behavior. And all I know is from the time from when the side road driver crosses the stop line to when the main road driver hit the brakes has been blank. Do mm-hmm. drivers have blue eyes and brown eyes and gray hair and, and black hair? And are they, you know, chubby and thin, right? That We got them all, right? And the average of all of them has been if they roll through that line, sign, uh, stop line, 1.2, and if they started from a stop near 1.5, right, for that intersection path intrusion. For uh, being cut off by in traffic in the next lane over, it's near 1.1-ish uh, average response time, plus or minus 0.3. But it vary, where it varies is information to the driver, probability. Mm-hmm. If you face something every single time you go out to the drive, your PRT for that situation is probably going to be in that 1.2, 1.0, 1.2, less than 1.5, right? And so where that's being cut off, somebody cutting in in front of you, somebody doing a sudden stoppy in front of you, Mm -hmm. right? Those are fast response times. Why? Because you respond to that every time you drive. And now somebody breaks a little bit harder and you respond pretty quickly, right? Because if somebody breaks right in front of you, you got the brake lights going on, you got pitch of the lead vehicle, you got immediate change in following distance, the size of the lead vehicle grows in your visual field, and you've got everything but a sign going up saying, stop stupid. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, I, come on, man. I could train a pigeon to do that. Right. right? Yeah. And so guess what? 16 and 17 and 18 year old drivers are overrepresented in that crash because you know what? Sometimes they act like a pigeon, right? Right. And, but now we look into that stop vehicle on a highway, that U-turn, a head-on crash. What's the probability you're going to face that today? Pretty low. Guess what's going to happen if you do? Pretty bad. Yeah. Right. So actually, can I can I can I throw a hypothetical out there at you? Yeah. yeah. And this may or may not have occurred, but I, I, it's on the forefront of my mind. So let's say and in, in, in being a former police officer, me and Phil are both current police officers, even, you know, at this point. And so did you ever work a construction zone? Yeah. Like just doing the traffic control? And tra- OK. Yeah. 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 I, so, yeah I, I've had some bad experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a truck driver who is or any kind of driver who's driving through a construction zone every night, late at night, traffic's relatively clear, but he knows that the construction zone is there. I would say and, and I might be wrong, but he would have some sort of expectancy, little driver expectancy, that traffic might be slowed down in a construction zone, possibly if he knows it's there and he's driven through it. And on a particular night, they're coming up to the construction zone, but they're not in it. Like they know where it starts and they're not even to that point yet. They're not even in the advanced warning area, but in the construction zone, unbeknownst to them, the construction company and the police officers start doing a traffic drag and start slowing traffic down to a crawl. And and so the speed limit in the construction zone, let's just say is 55 or even 50, but now they're slowing traffic down to five miles an hour with no signs, no warnings, no anything. And so the truck driver is approaching and he sees another truck in front of him that is, you know, he sees the brake lights on it, but that's it. When it's night, unlit highway, 
you know, he knows he's not in the construction zone. How hard is that for a driver to correctly identify a closing speed? Closing speed is, it's, it's difficult. Uh, It depends on how far away you are and what the closing speed is. So generally, if, if we have a 40 mile an hour closing speed, that's a, that's a point where about 85% of drivers will avoid, Mm -hmm. right? Usually it depends on some minor, but rule of thumb, that's about, that's about the cutoff there. So that is that a 40 mile an hour closing speed dangerous? Oh yeah. So somebody create, if somebody created a 40 mile an hour closing speed that created a dangerous situation. Uh, if we get, start getting above that, then we start getting almost to a statistical certainty that there's going to be a crash. Yeah. Now, Based on research done, an epidemiological study by Liberty Mutual a few years ago about work zones, an average work zone increases rear end crash risk by 31%. Oh, wow. So so now imagine if you have a non-conforming work zone, a a work zone with traffic cones down, uh, uh, intermittent information, uh, you know, uh, salient information over here when they want you to look over there. Uh, you, you, you can really, you can create a, a masterful mess out there uh, without a proper work zone. Yeah. And so we already know work zones are going to increase rear end crash risk. They're going to increase uh, problems and Sideswipe, what they call sideswipe, same or cut-in crashes in the transition area uh, of where where you were, you know, before the work zone, uh, because now people ha- we're forcing people if we have a lane closure to change lanes. Uh, so uh, care has to be given to keep the increase in crash risk to a minimum in yeah. a work zone. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. And, and, so, and, 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 and you know, somebody could say, well, isn't it true? Work zones are dangerous. Well, you know what? You got to you, you got to keep the roads maintained. You know, it's not a choice. You, right. They, they have to have work zones. But uh, but we can try to minimize the, the, the risk mm-hmm. you know, with a proper work zone. Yeah, absolutely. Phil, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was gonna say something because I want to. We don't care. I'm I want to. I want to respond to you baiting me into the corner, so you can sit back and tape your mouth shut or something. I don't care. What, Phil? We're losing uh, you. Yeah. I'm sorry. What? The connection no. I think is bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, th- you know, Jeff, and this is what you know. Eric and I have talked about for for a long time, and in my opinion, um, I think PRT is is inappropriately or wrongfully taught at the academy level when it comes to levels one through four, you know, when you go into the crash recon series, because they call, you know, I don't like the term or the, the, uh, I don't like PRT because the way it gets taught and the way it gets understood is it's perception reaction time. So, okay, here comes the car. I've seen it. There's perception. Then I start my reaction when, when in all reality and what they do is they go back, these officers leave and then they, they they apply, you know, where the, the they go back that 1.5 seconds and they say this is where the person would have perceived the hazard. To me, 
they're misapplying the word perception when it's really perception does not begin until recognition ends. So I do agree with Eric in that. Where I think a lot of people shut up. I think a lot of people though take the P, the perception portion of it, and put that at the beginning of what really is recognition. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, we're skipping the recognition phase. Here's one thing that um, in in the in the original research, right? They had uh, discrimination task encoding so they use discriminate the word discrimination instead of recognition or detection they used encoding instead of perception right and uh and so and and then dr olson in his book said decision uh, uh decision and recognition and, and uh, uh well detection recognition decision response well Number one, decision is part of every phase of the response, right? So you got to make a decision whether you're recognizing it or not. You got to make a decision whether it's an immediate hazard, a non uh, a non immediate hazard, or not a hazard at all. You got to make a decision whether you're going to break or steer. You got to make a decision whether your braking is effective or not, mm-hmm. right? You got to make a decision on how hard you're pressing the brake or how far you turn the steering wheel, right? right. Right. So decision is really not a phase. It's part of every phase, right? And then recognition and deci- and detection, they are prerequisites for perception response time. And they're not part of perception response time. And I defy you to show me a study. And, you know, we've been collecting studies now for over 25 years. I defy you to f- show me a study a driving study that included detection as part of perception response. Even Olson didn't. All right. Right. And so it, and, and here's where I, I stress to people in our classes and in the book to separate out your thinking from the measure of driver response. And, all we know is the average response time from when the driver crossed the stop line, from the average response time from when the pedestrian crossed in, into the road, right, right. has right. been blank. Right. I don't know what the driver was thinking. I don't care what the driver was thinking. I'm going to compare what he did with what others did. And so, Phil, you brought up something like uh, some experts go back. They use 1.5 seconds and work back. Here's my problem with that. If you do that, you are assigning 1.5 seconds to that man mm-hmm. or that woman, right? You are not determining whether their response was appropriate. You are assigning their response. Right. Wouldn't it be better to compare what they did to what the normal driver does for that situation? Yeah, right? absolutely. And, and so when you work back, you know, a number of people say, well, Jeff, you say the average, you know, some people have used, even used my, my book or the, the program or some other uh, research and said, well, isn't it true? The research says, you know, the average response time for the for a uh, U-turn uh, crash has been two seconds, plus or minus 1.1. Yeah. Can I work back two seconds? Yeah, but you're, what you're doing is you're saying that he was an average driver. How do you know he was average? How yeah. do you know he wasn't above average or below average? Right. right? 
And so instead, I, I suggest you look at what the driver did. How far did he break hard? How far did he swerve? And then with your reconstruction, determine how and with the research, determine what what would we expect the average driver to do? So in our intersection path intrusion case, say an intersection path intrusion, car, car comes out from the stop line. He moved from the stop line to impact in three seconds. We know that either from video or from acceleration research that it takes the average driver three seconds to get from the stop line to impact, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the main road driver skids for one second before impact, right? You determine through your recon that he skidded for one second before impact. Mm -hmm. We know his actual PRT, based on your time and distance, was two seconds, right? He had three. He utilized one with his pre-impact maneuver. That means his PRT was two, right? We then just take that two and compare it. Is that a... You know, and what I just said to you earlier, Mm -hmm. average PRT for somebody starting from a stop has been 1.5. Average PRT from somebody rolling through has been 1.2. So this guy was two, right? Well, is that slow? Well, I said it's 1.5 plus or minus about uh, uh, plus or minus 0.5. Well, if it's 1.5 plus or minus 0.5, then that means this guy is right at the edge of one standard deviation. He's slower than 85% of drivers, right? So that's where you take out a baseball in the courtroom and just chuck it at his face. And when it bounces off his forehead, be like, I told you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? That leads to, uh, you know, other things like, you know, Arguments is, well, if a baseball player can swing a bat and, and hit a ball in 0.18 seconds, yeah, why are you saying that an average driver will take two seconds? Yeah. Right? Ten times, you know, a hundred times longer. Well, different stimulus, different response. I will say that imagine a baseball player who has to hit a ball that could come from the pitcher or the first baseman, Right or the third baseman, and he has to drive a quad while doing it. You think he's going to hit as well, right? And so the ball can come from anywhere, just like in real life, and he has to drive, he has the driving task, just like real life. Yeah. Is, is that going to increase the degree of difficulty? Sure. And, and That would make baseball so, a lot more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no. and, and, and so, you know, we have to understand the underlying science and the underlying science is probability and information to the driver. And so I, I'll go back that, that intersection path intrusion daytime with somebody blowing through the intersection has been near 1.2 that nighttime pedestrian path intrusion on a highway or a straight road at night, mid block has been over two right? The U-turn, over two. Stop vehicle on a highway, over two. Head on, oh my God, head on response time. If the car comes into my lane 10 seconds before impact, my response time might be nine, right? Oh, wow. Because we keep looking at that guy and go, get over, man, get over, get over, get over. 
get over. And then he doesn't. And at the last minute, we're forced to do something crazy. Yeah. Right? And and so what we see is like the head on crash right, response time equals time to contact minus one second. Right. So if you cut in, cut into my lane one second before impact, I'm going to respond in about one second. If you cut into my lane three seconds before impact, I'm going to respond in about two. And if you come in down straight down my lane, 10 seconds, I'm going to keep swearing at you until you get out of my lane. Right. <laughs> Isn't that crazy how just people just are like that? That's that's nuts. Well, you know what? This is one time the legislators you know, get it right is most states and provinces have in their statute or in their case precedent that drivers are allowed to assume other drivers are going to obey the law. Yeah. And that's one of those situations where the law predicts the behavior. Right. And and so whether, you know, whether you think it's right or wrong, ethical or not ethical, this is the way drivers have behaved. They look at somebody and, and they think, what are you doing in my lane? Right. And so some people say, well, why wouldn't you depart the lane right away? Well, because every other option has a negative consequence to it as well. Right. The perfect option is to stay and have him return to his proper lane. And we all win. Yeah. Right? And but now with him, you know, and and this gets into game theory uh, you know, and ch- the, you know, the game of chicken and uh, the prisoner's dilemma and all these other uh, game theory analyses. But when you apply these, you know, zero sum game type of analyses to this, the, the optimal option is for the driver to stay in his lane. And when it gets very, very late in the event, possibly swerve out of the lane. Yeah. And, 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 there is no good option uh, what direction that swerve is going to be. And yeah. so we, and, and we, we've tested that scenario a number of times. We can't predict where the next head on the driver in the correct lane. We can't predict it where he's going to steer next uh, yeah. because we see everything. We see steer, steer in the opposite lane. We see some drives break and we see some drivers go right. If there's nothing over to the right. Yeah. If they're if you put a little tiny bush over there, they're not going over there. Right. See, and I always joke the city I worked in, like the second a snowflake fell from the sky, uh, our drivers, at least in our city, were like, there's a snowflake. Should I hit it or hit this wooden utility pole next to the road? They took the utility pole <laughs> nine times out of ten. Like that seemed like a better option than hitting the snowflake. But yeah, you know, it's the- <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and part of this is because we drive with ambient vision not focal vision, right? So ambient vision, our scene washes over us. Mm-hmm. And it's why we drive the same speed at night as we do day. Because with ambient vision, we see things in our periphery about the same day and night. We, know, we see the lane lines, we see exits, exits are lit, signs are uh, retroreflective, vehicles have lights on them, and we see everything we think we need to say, right? And... <clears throat> With with ambient vision, all we know is we want to keep our six foot peg into the twelve foot hole, right? Our mm-hmm. six foot vehicle into the twelve foot lane, and it's pretty easy to do ambiently, right? Yeah. To find targets, to find pedestrians, we got to do that focally 
right? We have to see some kind of shape, right, that attracts our attention. And it has to compete with everything we're not looking at, right? Yeah. And so now I put a little tiny bush on the side of the road, right? The only way you're going to know that's a little tiny bush that you can run over is if you look at it. Otherwise, it's just an obstacle in your ambient vision, right? And and that's what we see. We, you know, if you have somebody coming at you head on, and if you look to the right, you might say, oh, it's a mailbox. I can take that out, right? But we don't have the time to do that, right? We don't have the luxury. Right. And so what happens is instead the driver just knows there's something over there. I can't go over there, right? And right. And, and, and some people are ruler oriented. And so in, in one study I did back in 2005, even simple raised curbs to the right. We're taught in kindergarten, draw in the lines, right? Mm-hmm. We wanna stay in the lines. And you put a raised curbing, we don't cross the lines, right? It's so- That's, it, that's it, so it, interesting though. It, I, like, it makes sense. It's just, yeah. it's interesting to think about. Yeah, right. And and so it it definitely puts a constraint on what a driver will typically do. Yeah. We're we're very again, we're very predictable in the way we choose to make avoidance options in many instances. That's so wild. So, you know, and, and Phil, you, you knew this second was coming, but you know, we've, we've blown past our, our limit on our episode, but like there was so much good information. I didn't want to cut anybody off. Um, so, you know, I, I do want to go to uh, some of our final thoughts I, and I do want to make sure everybody knows where to come see you for more training and also get your research. And then um, I am sure we're going to have a positive enough uh, response to this episode that hopefully in the future, you would be able to come back on with us. And I know Phil threw out the idea of, uh, you know, in, in the future next year, what we'd really like to do is a round table and take, uh, and actually host it live and have the attorneys call in and ask questions. And, you know, man, hopefully you'd be willing to be a part of that because that would be amazing. So I'm going to give you the last final thought, uh, because you're our guest. So Phil, um, because you're the least interesting person, What's your final thought? <laughs> I was just going to let you know. Lynn had some information she wanted to put out to us too. So we got time. We'll get Lynn on here. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go to her last so that everybody has time to get. So while we're doing our final thoughts, uh, everybody take out your pen and paper because you're going to want to take down the information that Lynn's going to uh, give us for oh, okay. I got you. Uh, all that stuff. Yeah. I guess my final thoughts being you're babbling on. Um, first of all, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I mean, uh, you know, this is, this is such an important topic, you know, um, perception, reaction, just, just the whole human factor involved in general uh, is huge. And I think it's a, a, a very mis, maybe mistaught or misunderstood um, portion of, the, of an expert's responsibilities. Um, and hopefully you coming on and hopefully we can have you on again. You know, we'll, we'll help make the the industry better. I mean, you know, that's what we strive to do, and everybody should be striving to do is uh, do it right, um, do it ethically, do it responsibly, and and the chips will fall where they should fall at that point. So, thank you very much for the for the insight and the opportunity to to speak with you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, and so my, for my final thought, I, I wanted to to just kind of go down this road. So, one, if you ever read a reconstruction report of mine or Phil's. One of the reference materials you will always see referred to is Jeff's book, 
and so we're going to put a link on our on this podcast so you guys can actually just click on the link and buy it. Not only does every investigator need this, every attorney needs this book. If you do anything with car crashes, you have to have this book. Driver's Responses in Emergency Situations is amazing. And it has in there one, uh, well, two sentences that I quote in almost every single one of my reports. And, and Jeff, I'm, I'm not going to lie. This is in every book I've ever written, uh, written, <laughs> read. <laughs> let me let me correct myself there. In every book I've ever read. These are the the two best sentences, hands down, I have ever read. And it goes like this. And, and you hit on it a little bit during the show. An investigator should not attempt to imagine what a driver could or could not perceive. Instead, an objective analysis involves a thorough investigation of what the subject driver did and then comparison of that response to how drivers and research performed in a similar task. Because every expert report I read that comes across my desk somebody makes the opinion of they should have seen that car. They should have seen that pedestrian. And, and I, I hear the preface of, well, just, well, I know when, when I drive down the road, <laughs> right. And yeah. it's like, well, that's great. That's a sample of one. Right. And, and, but we're subject to our own biases. If yeah. we're reporting what we recall we've done. Yeah. For example, perfect example is I tend to have a sketchy driving record when driving with my wife. And so (laughs) I always say that it's because she's in the car and it distracts me. But she points out that she has there's no observer in the car to report how I drive when there's no one in the car. That is, that is a good point. All right, touche. I side with his wife. I've driven with Jeff. Dang it. I hope my wife doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> so, See, and that's the problem is my wife yells at me because in, in all of us being in law enforcement, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I drive down the middle of the road because I believe I own every square inch of the road. And uh, she's like, can you choose a lane? And I'm like, I don't have to. I can just do whatever I want. So it's uh, yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, and, and what's left is my recall of all the good times of me driving. Right. And so, right. Uh, you know, we're, we're not good at re- recalling every instance in a mathematically precise way, you know? Yep, absolutely. So if, if uh, final thoughts, and, and if you had one pearl of wisdom that you want to leave every investigator, every attorney, everybody that listens to the show, what's that one pearl of wisdom uh, that... <laughs> Bail on the 1.5, you know, apply the research properly to the facts and circumstances of the case. And so somebody that listens to this uh, might say, well, you know, Jeff said about one for some events, one second response time for some and two seconds response time for others. Isn't that an average of 1.5? I've heard that. Right. And you know what? The average speed of all crashes involving injury in the United States is 13.7 miles an hour. Why aren't you using, if you insist on using 1.5, then you should also be using 13.7 miles an hour for your speed calculations. So next time you do a highway crash, both vehicles were traveling 13.7, right? Right. And every other crash you do, average speed is 13.7, or at very least, a good place to start in your calculation, right? So how do you adjust 13.7 to to fit your the facts and circumstances of the case? You can't. You can't get there from here. 
So instead, what do we do? We calculate the speed based on the facts and circumstances of the case. Right? Yeah. I'm asking you to do the same methodology for PRT. Do, if you have an uh, intersection crash, if you have a head-on crash, if you have a cutoff crash, right? Uh, uh, a pedestrian on a, a dark road at night in mid-block, use a number that's appropriate for, for that crash type and apply that research properly to the facts and circumstances of your case, right? And and yeah. just and follow follow a proper methodology and just do what the court asks us to do, right? Yeah, I love it. That's great. Love it. And, and, you know, like I said, this this was the one episode we were looking forward to. And I, I knew because I knew some, some uh, just major uh, bombs of wisdom were going to come out. So um, with that, let's get some of this research into other people's hands. Uh, so Lynn, uh, let everybody know. And so Lynn, you are uh, Jeff's boss, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back in the day, my karate instructor used to have a sign over his door and he said, do you want to talk to the man in charge or the woman that knows what's going on? And I'm like, ah, so that's so true. And uh, but no, so Lynn, you're you're the what, what's your actual title? <laughs> you can choose, like, make it up, just make it up, make make it sound really actually, cool. Actually, you know, my title is manager. Um, I'm I coordinate Jeff's classes. Um, okay. all classes. I, I I do a little bit of everything. Um, I love it. And you are the voice. So yeah, if anybody ever calls, yeah. because every time I've called and every time Phil calls, you're who we talk to. Yes. And, uh, so you're the voice on the other side of the phone. <laughs> and I'm a lot more available than Jeff. So, and, and most of the time, if you, if you want Jeff, you go through me. So right. I, I know exactly what my job title is. You're the, gate, you're the gatekeeper. I am the gatekeeper. I like yeah. that. Gatekeeper. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So and let's get... Way, I don't know why, but I guess apparently today I'm Jeff Mutar, according to the screen. <laughs> I did notice that. I was going to let that stop. Like, yeah, you know, it's all good. I'm actually, I'm going to give you a really fancy uh, nameplate underneath there when I edit the video. So you'll be impressed. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to make that it look all good. cool for you. Don't worry. Um, so yeah. let's get this book into everybody's hands. So if everybody needs this book, uh, where mm -hmm. can they go to get it? Call you, website? What, what, they can the call me. They can go right to the Crash Safety Solutions website and order it online. Um, sometimes people prefer to call and do things over the phone. Um, also, um, as I mentioned, I coordinate all of Jeff's classes. And if you go to the Crash Safety Solutions website to the classes page, we have a couple of Zoom classes coming up. In light really? of what's going on, we just, you know, kind of figured it'd be easier to do it that way. Yeah. And what's so good to me is that she's booked me for every type of hour that you can imagine. Right. So Absolutely. I, I'm teaching a midnight shift uh, <laughs> over in England. I'm yes. evening <laughs> shift over in Australia. Nice. Uh, so I'm accommodating no matter what time zone you're in. I'm I'm teaching a class in that time zone at some point. Well, Lynn, listen, what I need you to do, because I've been trying to get to Jeff's class and, uh, yes. you know, it's always at Northwestern in the spring and I refuse to go to Chicago in February, March. Um, can you book, <laughs> I don't blame you. Can you book, May. Yeah. That's can you book a January class at IPTM down in Jacksonville and I will be there in the front row and uh, make sure I get that in because I need the beach in my life. If we could do the Bahamas, that's even better. So the well, further the south. Yeah. 
Like, I yeah, we we do we we do our user form usually in February, and I always try to go somewhere warm. Uh, so in lieu of that, this year we're doing a five day human factors class via Zoom, mm-hmm. uh, February eighth through the twelfth, and then we're doing our IDRR class February twenty second through twenty fifth. Yes, and I am I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to hit on that too to make sure uh, IDRR is your guys' software that you came up with that has all of this research in it and, and allows the, the, the investigator to actually find and apply the research properly. I call it Jeff's life, life's work. And, you know, if it, it, you can find information about IDRR interactive driver response research on our website, and you can also reach out to me, um, you know, call me, email me. I'm very responsive. If anybody has any questions, once they go to the website, I'm happy to help. Yeah. And like and, I said, there and, is a. And, oh, and, God. I, uh, and I think, uh, didn't you say that uh, we're going to be, a, we're going to be probably announcing several classes with IPTM? Uh, yes, we are. Um, uh, Darlene and Swaroop will be teaching a um, human factors class for IPTM. Um, and Jeff will be teaching his advanced class in October. So we have several classes um, for IPTM that will be taught. I, I have them on the calendar. I don't have the exact dates in front of me right now. but May, it, June, August, September. Yes. And, you okay. know, anybody can reach out to me and I'll, I can get those class dates. I know that Russell's planning on getting them posted on the website. Perfect. Yeah. And like I said, anybody uh, that listens to this show, if you look in the comments that is on Facebook for this show or anything like that, you're going to see the link to uh, Jeff's website and make just click on that and that'll get you right over to Lynn. So, yes. And feel free to reach out to me. My email address and my phone number are on the website as well. If anybody has any questions, please reach out. Happy to help. Well, everyone, that's going to wrap it up for the day. As always, jump over to Facebook and make sure you follow and join Crash Tech, the Expert Angle Group. Also, if you want to leave us feedback, have an idea for a show, or would like to be on a future show, head over to crashtechexpertangle.podbean.com and click the link on the right that says contact the show. The form will come up. Put anything that you want right in there. If you want more information on expert consulting services or training, visit us online at www.crashtechreconstruction.com. And finally, if you're a PI attorney, make sure you request to join the Crash Site Facebook group. Or if you're a defense attorney, make sure you request to join the Crash Site Defense Facebook group. Neither site contains any ads or spam. It's just a private community that brings experts from all different areas together with attorneys to collaborate or ask questions. So again, guys, thanks for tuning in. And remember, always leave your accident victims better off than you found them because at the end of the day, everything we're doing is for them.